Hello. Today I'm welcoming Sarah of Sage to Seed Designs. She is local to me in Seattle and she has created this lovely, beautiful business with gorgeous bags. She has just taken this leap in the last year to make this lifestyle change. And so we talk about that transition. We talk about her upcoming marriage. We talk about things in her life that inspired her to get to the point of where she is today. Please enjoy this conversation and thank you for stopping by. Stories, we all have them. They're the compilation of your journey from where you started to how you ended up where you are today. Titanium Blonde is all about sharing women's stories, the good, the bad, the ugly, the beautiful, and everything in between all of that. I'm Sherry Eckert. This is Titanium Blonde Talks, and I'd like to know What's your story? Hello, and thank you for joining me for another episode of Titanium Blonde Talks. Today joining me is Sarah from Sage to Sea Designs. She and her partner are celebrating their one-year anniversary with their lovely collection of bags that they make. They're incredible, such beautiful bags. I happen to find her on Instagram through someone else that I follow. I go up and look at her designs and drool over all of the gorgeous bags that I have to save my yoga pennies for so mm -hmm. that I can buy myself a new bag. Because what I really need is one more bag in my life, but I, I can't stop. I have an addiction. Sarah, I want to thank you for joining me this morning and welcome. Thank you for inviting me. It's very fun. Would, would you tell the listeners a little bit more about yourself and how you ended up doing this venture and your experiences along the way in the last 12 months? Sure. So yeah, it's been a complete whirlwind of a year. I turned 30 a year ago in October and decided, and I've been working in nonprofits and program management for the last eight or nine years since I graduated from college. And I was kind of like, you know, getting a little bit over the nonprofit grind. I've always <laughs> been a maker. Decided to give myself for my 30th birthday um, a risk to take. So I quit my full-time job and got a part-time job not really knowing where it was going to lead me. One thing led to another as it does in life. And me and my partner, David, started Sage to See Designs and have completely fell in love with the process of making. It's been a complete adventure. So it's really exciting to celebrate our one year anniversary. It's, it's fun to have gone through a year and kind of understand a little bit more about the cycle and sort of get to dream about where we can go with this. I know you mentioned that you were a maker. Do you, did you have background in making bags and working with leather and, and doing all of that? Or is that something you guys taught yourself along the way? We taught, we taught ourselves along the way. I've, I have been, me and David both are very project oriented people. And we haven't always had one kind of track that we're following. Like this is my, this is my craft. It's like I've done a lot of fiber arts and knitting and felting, some sewing. Um, my mom is an artist. And so I grew up with her as my kind of model vision of that as a possibility for my life. She, I was like, you know, I'm really interested in learning to make a backpack because I've, I've always been a backpack person. I'm obsessed with backpacks. 
So I took Me a too. Yeah, hands free is the way to go. And so I took a trip home to St. Louis to visit my mom so we could come up with a design together. And I was like, this is so much fun. I'm going to keep doing this. And so from there, we've just taught ourselves. It's been a huge learning process and like enlisting people along the way, just being open, you know, I go to the leather store and I ask a lot of questions um, and have made some good friends there. And so I've just learned from other people along the way. That's the thing that's the best part is that when you find other artisans that are willing to share, whether they're doing something similar to what you're doing or not, there's a whole host of knowledge out there that if you can tap into that, it's it's so incredible. I started making jewelry about 32 years ago and just happened to walk into a bead store and walked out after you know spending $50 later. Right. And I look back, I saved my first piece I ever made just for posterity's sake. And I look at it and go, oh God, that was so not good <laughs> compared to where, to where I ended up. And there were so many artists that shared their techniques along the way. There were so many people in other creative outlets that were willing to help. And I just found that to be so encouraging that yeah. you could ask someone a question and that they would be so willing to share their knowledge because. Definitely. Yeah. I was really struck. Um, one of my first trips to the leather store that I go, the, the main leather store that I go to in Seattle now, I just overheard this woman who was working there talking to another customer saying, yeah, I make leather and wax canvas bags. And I, I overheard that and was like, okay, I need to talk to her. So I went up to her and was like, I'm, I'm also doing that. And I would love to learn from you. And just, I was just struck by the openness of people who are, who share the craft. It's not like a competition. It's really a community of people who want to uplift each other. So it's been amazing. I know that I have run into some artists over the years who don't necessarily always want to share their techniques because they're afraid that someone's going to copy them. Right. The reality is, is that no matter whether someone's using your same techniques and trying to recreate similar designs, they're always going to be different because each person, their touch is different. Their perspective right. is different. It and when you're doing something by hand, it's never uniform. There's always right. some sort of little imperfection or something that makes the piece unique. So it always has your mark on it. Yeah. 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 So are you guys just doing like some local shows and that sort of thing? Do you have a retail location that carries your work or? We don't have our own brick and mortar, but we're in three different shops one in Belltown in downtown Seattle, one in Pioneer Square, and then we're at, we're now at the Tacoma Art Museum, which is awesome. Fun. Yeah, that's great. That's just another connection. We did um, a show in Tacoma about five months ago and met a woman there who was like, I work for the art museum. I've been looking for things similar to yours and reached out to us and made that connection. And then we do, you know, we have our online shops, we have our website and we're on Etsy. And then we do a bunch of shows in Seattle. So, Well, I know that when we were talking that the holiday show circuit was going on big time for you. Yeah. <laughs> that was a pretty busy, busy time for you guys. Definitely. Yeah. It's been a learning experience too this first year. I just made the decision like I'm going to sign up for every show. I'm going to apply for every show, see what we get into and just do them all. And some of them were amazing beyond my wildest dreams. And some of them were like, 
not amazing. <laughs> so it was a great learning experience in that way too, like so that we can cherry pick more now where we want to go. That's the thing that I learned too was doing shows. I mean, I did a bunch of different shows and some of them, like you said, were were incredible and others of them were like, I sat for three days and nothing showed up at all. Right. So exactly. So you have to kind of pick and choose which ones are the best ones because they're a lot of work. I mean, you have to get there, you have to set up, you have to make sure you have enough material, You all of that. And I don't know necessarily that when people show up to shop at those experiences that they understand that that is the culmination of months and months of work behind right. all of that. Yeah. And months and months of work. And also a big part of it for me with these shows is questioning of what what do I need to be preparing? Is it enough? Right. Is it not enough? There's just there's a lot of questioning and stress that comes along with it for sure. And ultimately, <laughs> it's so satisfying. So, what's your most popular bag? Our most popular bag is our leather crossbody. For sure. oh, is it really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And I see that you guys are now starting to do some research into leather suppliers and yeah. trying to come up with some things that are, are made in the United States. Is that Did I get that correctly? Yeah. So we have, this is one thing we've been doing a lot is reflecting after our first year in operation is like, what are our commitments? What are our goals? One of our main commitments is sourcing as much as possible in the United States. And so our big quest over the last year has been finding the right leather because we've been buying things in stores which have come from a few different tanneries. Mostly our things have are in the U.S. now, but we want to streamline. So Horween is tanned in Chicago and it's just really some of the best some of the best leather that you can find. I know that you worked with you work with a wax canvas as well. Mm -hmm. Yes. And do you use just one supplier for that, or do you yeah, have several we, that you work with? Mm -hmm. We use one supplier for that. It's called Fairfield Textiles, um, and the wax canvas that we use is called Martexin. Been around for a super super long time. Really water resistant super durable. And we've been using that canvas for a while and we're really happy with it. So we're going to stay with that. And that one color that you've got, that gray color in that wax canvas is oh, so gorgeous. It. That's the most popular. That is, yeah. I, I think, <laughs> well, because it, it goes with everything, but it's not the traditional black and it's got a little bit of kind of like a blue tone to it. Yeah. And I saw that and I went, that is like the best color ever. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, some people it reads as charcoal and some people call it blue. I love that there's like a little interpretation as to what it is. Yeah, I love that color. Well, when you're working with so many different people seeing your work, it's interesting to understand their perspective or how they're seeing the colors that you're using, Definitely. the material that you're using, because you realize just how different everybody is. They can still all appreciate the same work, but they all have a different perspective or a different vision of what it is that they're seeing. Definitely. That's one of the coolest things about doing shows is hearing those things from people and learning from them how they perceive our work has helped us learn about what our aesthetic is and what our style is. I would imagine that your customers are going to be like your your sort of space to be able to try out new designs, get input, and can find out from them what works and what doesn't in a design. So if you need to tweak it, et cetera, it works better for you to do that. Right. Absolutely. 
yeah, very helpful. That's it's the most fun to be able to talk to people at shows. You know, I love working in our studio and it's super satisfying. And sometimes it can get to feeling a tiny bit like isolated because you're working by yourself. And I'm a very relational person. All of my work has been about relationships, all of my work with nonprofits. So (laughs) having that like person to person interaction is really important for me. So doing shows is very fun. Yeah, that is the hard thing when you do something like that and you're you're doing the creation. When you sit down to batch your process and, you know, make multiple items, you really are alone with what it is that you're doing. And I understand that completely because I am all about relationships and engaging with people. And there are times when it's just like, I have to turn a movie on or something. So it sounds like there's someone else in the room. Right. Yeah. I really, I've, I've almost stopped listening to music in the studio and then listening like exclusively to podcasts. I'm like, all right, cool. There are other people in the room. Yeah. Not just me yeah. here. Yeah. Do you guys have the studio there in your house or do you have a studio space that you go to that's separate? It's in our house. Yeah. Which I love. Well, it makes it easy to get to work. Exactly. (laughs) We we had a studio that was in a separate location and that was amazing to have it, you know, it's nice to like leave work at work and have home be home. Right. Right. But it's amazing, like, if I have an extra hour in the evening to just hop downstairs and work on some things instead of having to commit an entire day or something like that. So I love it. So how many different designs do you have in your line right now? Oh, gosh. I'll have to estimate. Oh, you know, I think we have 12. Okay. I believe. Yeah, including different wallets and different options like that that we have. And then are you always looking at new designs or are you just going to kind of hang out with where you are for right now and then always looking at new designs? Yeah, (laughs) I have have a list going for myself, a journal uh, that I carry around with me and I have design, design dreams is one of my pages in my journal. So we have a few different things planned for the spring and summer that I'm really excited about. Oh, good. That sounds great. I think as a creator and a maker that you have to be able to stay fresh, even though some of your bestsellers that you make over and over and over again, it's like you always, otherwise you start to feel stagnant, I think, is that you really just have to give yourself the room to be able to try out those new designs. They're not always going to be winners for everybody else, but it still gets you to stretch outside of, you know, the space that you're working in. Yeah. And that's what keeps it really interesting. When I give myself the space in between orders to experiment, that's where it's at. That's really fun. So who's been the biggest inspiration in your life then? Let's 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 sort of segue into that. Definitely my mom. I tell her all the time. She's <laughs> amazing. She is an inspiration to so many people. She so I, I mentioned before she's an artist. And it's been really neat throughout her life that her art has really morphed. It's not always been the same. She's done a lot of painting and now she does now she's a fiber artist and she teaches and she's done in her life a lot of things that I'm doing now so it's really amazing to be able to call her and be like yeah the show circuit you know and like kind of commiserate with her about about different things and learn I learned so much from her because she's been through a lot of what I'm going through well it's great to have that 
ability to be able to tap into that and ask questions and just talk about what what's going on and what's happened and yeah. gives you a space to be able to decompress too with somebody who understands exactly what you're going through. Exactly. Yeah. It's it's an amazing connection that we have in that way. I know that you're still working part-time yeah. and I know that you are working on on building your brand. And so I would love to know what does balance look like in your life because you have a lot of irons in the fire. Yes. That is a great question and it's like, you know, <laughs> a constant quest. <laughs> balance is harder in during the holiday season, for sure. You know, I'm in the studio at 7.30 in the morning and I'm there until 10 at night, which is partially self-inflicted because I could be working, you know, in September prepping for that, which I'll be working on that. But balance is, for me, getting outside, even if it's just, you know, for a walk once a day. It's so easy to be in the studio and then, and then in the evening, I'm like, oh my gosh, I haven't been outside all day. Uh, yeah. When I'm able to slow down and get myself outside, that is so helpful for me in having balance and also doing my best to get out and hike and be in the woods is essential. Well, we live in a gorgeous part of the country where there's, you know, there, there's water, there's mountains, there's, there's so much to see and do here that you're, you're never very far away from any of that, really. I mean, you can, within a couple hours drive, be in a totally different environment. So yeah, exactly. Last, last week, me and David, um, I think it was like Wednesday morning, we woke up and we're like, Let's get out of town a little bit. We just, we don't need to go far. We just need to get into the woods. And we drove 45 minutes outside of town and did, you know, an amazing hike. And we're back in the city by 11 a.m. In the yeah. City. So that was, yeah. that was amazing. Yeah. That, that's, it's so interesting to me. Like when I get people who say, you know, how far do you have to drive to get to the beach? And it's like, it's an eight minute walk from my doorstep. Right. <laughs> <That's amazing. laughs> yeah. Bainbridge is but, beautiful. Oh, it, you know, I, I've been here 33 years and, wow. you know, it's changed a lot since I've first moved here. There's a lot more density in terms of population and right. spaces right in the downtown corridor, which is where I live, which is basically one street uh-huh. on, yeah. on Baybridge Island. Just the sense of community that I've had over the years and my family all lives around here as well. So makes it that much easier. But I have always been, I lived in Seattle for a short period of time. And for me, it's just too easy to get overrun by the energy. I don't ever have that space where I turn off because if there's something to keep doing, I'll keep doing it. And so what's nice about being here is it's a much slower pace of life. And I can certainly take that time to go hang out on the beach for an hour if that's what I want to do and just sit there and listen to the birds and the water and the fairy come and go and all of that. So, yeah. I have I have aspirations to move somewhere more like Bainbridge. <laughs> For sure. Well, the city. It, it's uh, there's a lot of great little islands around and there is a there's a special little lifestyle hack that you kind of have to make. I, I have people who say to me, you know, how can you stand to ride the ferry? And it's like, well, here's the deal. It's a 35 minute ferry ride across the water into downtown Seattle. I can walk or catch a ride or take the light rail to get pretty much anywhere I want to go. Right. 
somebody else is driving, I can eat, I can sleep, I can talk, I can read and use the restroom and there's no traffic. Right. <laughs> yeah. There are some trade-offs to make, but boy, Worth it. I, I haven't found anywhere else I, I love more than living here. So. Yeah. yeah. So where do you feel most present? In the mountains. Oh, okay. Definitely. But also... It's more complicated than that. I've been thinking a lot about, I can feel the most present. I can feel as present as possible really anywhere. And for me, it's about slowing down and just focusing on being present and focusing on gratitude. I've been in this, you know, we all go through kind of like peaks and valleys of presence and gratitude and happiness. And I've just been in a space for a while now that I, I just feel so grateful. So I can be, I live in West Seattle, I can be on the West Seattle Bridge driving somewhere and look to my right and see Mount Rainier and Mm. feel so grateful and so present just as much as I can if I'm actually like at Mount Rainier National Park. It's just about making that choice for me to feel grateful and notice those things. So, yeah. When... Negative emotions arise. How do you deal with them? Mm, I would imagine that you've probably had some of those happening as you've made this huge transition in your life. So what was one of your sort of your coping mechanisms or spaces that kind of helped you from following into overwhelm? Because I mean, what you're doing is, is setting yourself up to potentially be overwhelmed, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, For me, it's about connection with other people. It's easy to go inward and feel overwhelmed and get, you know, for me to get myself like up in a little bit of a frenzy, talking to other people and helping them give me a little perspective and helping them remind me like this is a choice that you're making. Um, (laughs) And ultimately, and this is this is going to pass. Yes, that's helpful for me. I mean, I me and David live with our two best friends who are also a couple and we have our little family here. So, you know, having, having dinner with them and just being in conversation with them is helpful. How long have you guys all lived together? We have lived together in different capacities for about six years. Wow. Yeah. That's incredible. Yeah. It's amazing. And we just met on Craigslist and You know, me and Dove are getting married in July and Lucas is officiating our wedding. And it's just funny how like that. That's such a great story. I mean, that's that's something that you guys will remember forever. Yeah. In the midst of also starting a new business, you're getting married. You're planning a wedding. We are. (laughs) And and I'm assuming you're getting married in Seattle. We are getting married in Leavenworth. Oh, you are? Oh, God. Yeah. Leavenworth is beautiful. That's a beautiful place. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be really pretty. We have a spot that's just right on the river and it'll be really nice. Oh, well, congratulations. That's great. Boy, you don't have enough on your plate to do. I think you need to take on something else. (laughs) (laughs) What do you do for yourself to create space for your creativity to flourish? I know you mentioned that you have a notebook that you keep track of like your dream designs and that sort of thing. What else do you do to keep that creativity flowing and alive for yourself? 
Yeah, it's kind of kind of what I was saying before about in between orders, giving myself the the freedom to play a little bit. When I do that, it's it's so fun making something that I've never made before, a new design. And I get so excited by it. I'm just like, oh my gosh, I can't believe that I made this. <laughs> um, and yeah, just giving myself the freedom to play. There was a, a jewelry creator that I met many years ago. And he said, the best advice I can give you is to take on a weekly basis, 50 to a hundred dollars worth of material and just let yourself create yeah. not to have something that you're going to sell or necessarily wear or do any of that, but to yeah. learn a new, learn a new technique to ex experiment with something that you've always wanted to try and you've never done it or right. to add some sort of a different component that you've never done before. And that was some of the best advice that I'd ever gotten was That's to just give advice. yourself the tools and the parts to just sit and create without any sort of expectation about what would come out of the whole thing. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. I'm going to use it. Yeah. That. Thank you. <laughs> well, I, I was so appreciative that he stressed that um, in the workshop that I took from him because yeah. it was, it was incredible to be able to do that. Yeah, so. definitely. I love that. What's on your mind most these days? Mm, what's next? Like, ah. What's next? What, where do I want to go? How, well, really, how am I going to make this full time so that I can really commit my whole self to it and go deeper with it? So I've been trying to do some strategizing around that. And I know it's, you know, it's a probably a longer term process, but it's, it's about what's next. And I know that you have some spaces that are bricks and mortar where you have your your designs mm -hmm. are is that sort of on the horizon for you too that potentially you want your own bricks and mortar space or no or some sort of an open studio where you work and people can come in and shop or that would be amazing i think I, there's a lot of ideas out there <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know that having our own shop in seattle is totally feasible in the foreseeable future. But one thing that I would love to start doing is workshops. It's another oh. thing to connect with people. Actually, I was thinking, so my family lives in St. Louis. And I was thinking the other day when I was in the studio, man, I should do a workshop with my mom. Because she does a lot of eco dyeing of fabrics. And you know, and is, is amazing at sewing. And I have the leather component. So I called her or I texted her. I'm like, Mom, I have an idea. Call me. So planning, we're gonna we're gonna do a workshop together in St. Louis. And I would love to expand that and just partnering with different people who bring different skills to the table and doing workshops would be really fun. Yeah, that would be great. And that is some of the best experiences I've had is going to a workshop or going to a whole weekend where they have various workshops uh -huh. all together and you right. can pick and choose the things you want to do. Yeah. Meet new people, learn new techniques. And it's where I've gotten the best exposure to some of the, the most influential teachers mm -hmm. in, in how I approach my design work. But it's, uh, it's something that is very different from your daily creation and what you do in terms of your production. Right. And 
for someone like you who is all about connections, it's a great way to connect to people and, and spend time with them. So that, that sounds like a great track for you to go on. Um, I've been meeting some amazing um, makers at shows and with, along with two of them, we put together a a winter market that was really, really fun in December. And we had, you know, 15 or so vendors there. And it just got me thinking how cool it would be to do something like a skill share where you have, you know, a smaller group of people who are willing to, and not in exchange for money, but just in exchange for experience and teaching each other and connecting, having people come together and putting on different workshops for each other would be really fun. There is, it's relatively new here on Bainbridge. It's called the Art Barn. Uh And it's a space where there's workshops that you can use and, you know, go in and create and that sort of, I mean, it's a space for artists to go and work and share and that sort of thing. So you might want to look into something like that just to see what's going on there. I don't know enough about it, Yeah. but that could potentially be a space for you to maybe expand into. Yeah. Um, I know that they host all kinds of different events, et cetera, too. So that might be a space to kind of look into, but those community things where they have, spaces where there's art space or studio space where you can go in and as a group and kind of work together or share. That's such a great way to do it when you have other people with other skills and everybody learns something different while they're there. Right, exactly. So you you said you put together a holiday show with some other makers all together? Yeah, yeah. Who, who did, so did you do all the organization for that and figure out the space and uh, myself and the and the two other makers. One was um, Seattle Candle Company, mm-hmm. um, and the other is Rebecca J Designs. She's she also does jewelry. Her work is amazing. And the three of us were at a show together that was a pretty slow show. So we were doing a lot of schmoozing and chatting with each other, <laughs> and realized that we all live in West Seattle. Um, and thought it would be fun because West Seattle doesn't really have a lot, you know, you see other pop-ups and things around the city, but West Seattle doesn't have that. We decided to do it. And most of the people were from West Seattle and we had, you know, West Seattle people, there's a lot of West Seattle pride. So we had a lot of people come out and support. It was really fun. So I I really want to do more of that too. Well, doing those pop-ups like that and and picking a specific community is, those things usually go over really well. And I don't know if you're looking for other locations in terms of uh, storefronts to carry your work, but have you looked at, uh, God, what is it? Horseshoe? No, it's a store in uh, Ballard. Hmm. Um, I want to say it's Horseshoe. Some I'll have to look it up. I'll look okay. it up and let you know, but she has a lot of eclectic stuff in there. Uh-huh. There's clothing. Um, they go out and buy vintage cowboy boots oh, and, you know, I get a big batch up. in. Yes. I, 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 I think it's Horseshoes. I can't remember what the rest of the name of it is. But, like um, yeah. And she's done some interesting things over the years. She's brought in people who are local business owners to talk about their business. I went to one talk that was the 
there was a woman that owned a spa. Uh There was um, a woman who came up with some, it was called baby legs for, there were like leg warmers for babies. Uh And all of these people were talking about how they started their business, how they got to where they were. And it was incredible that she would do just those little pop-ups where people would come in and talk about their stuff or do a trunk show and, and be able to come in and find new, new things. So so those kinds of cool. Those kinds of things are so incredible when you do them with the local community because it really gets people connected and knowing that you're there. And like you said, when you do something for a community like West Seattle that doesn't have a whole lot like that, that really gives them something that is a part of their community that, you know, helps build that support behind what you're doing. So that's, that's really cool that you came up with that. Yeah, thank you. When does bravery become foolhardy? I don't know if it does. Okay. I mean, I think it's important to be aware of limitations and things like that. But I don't know. I think so much of finding the right path that feels good is about taking risk, which I guess requires bravery. And yeah. Okay. question. Uh, that's a great answer. I, I love that answer. What is something that was a catalyst for transformation in your life? Mm, turning 30. <laughs> it, for some reason, um, turning 30 felt like this really big transition for me. I was, I've always looked to 30 as, I don't know, I don't really know what, but is this as, I don't know, real adulthood or something like that? <laughs> Although people think that real adulthood comes with a lot of you know, steadiness. And instead of that, I chose to like blow it up and do something that I didn't know what the outcome was going to be. But I think, yeah, turning 30 and like a feeling of unrest and wanting to build something that was of my design was really what what was the catalyst for me in making change. So that artist soul just stepped forward and said, it's time. Yeah, it was just, it was, it's been bubbling, you know? And then I, I, I knew it was time. <laughs> I made the decision well, it was time. And you still have your foot sort of in the nonprofit world. Yes, I do. Which, which you have a lot of experience with in terms of you know, the longevity of your career there. So like to talk to people who have made that leap and still kind of, they have that touchstone behind them to still give them that space of, I've got some support here while I kind of swim the waters of figuring out where I'm going to go. And the sense of what I kind of hear from you is that it's this sort of this fluidity of you just want to be able to have that creativity kind of drive where you go next without necessarily having a set expectation about what the end mark is. Or that's a great summary. I mean, that's exactly how I feel for sure. And having that touchstone is important for feeling okay about taking the risk too. And also the work that I do with the nonprofits that I've worked for is also really important to me. So that's something that I have been thinking of, well, that I thought about and continue to think about is what will, how will that feel to me if I do go full time with Sage to See, how will that feel to me to leave that work behind? And that's going to be tough too. So it's something I've been thinking about with how do I pull the values 
pull my values with that work into the work that I'm doing with Sage to See. So that's part, part of that is commu- the community that I'm that I'm talking about is really important to me and figuring out how the work I'm doing can have an impact on a broader scale. I don't know what that looks like yet, but that's something that I'm that I've committed to reflecting on in this next year is how to deepen my work and make it impactful for other people. Almost like you're trying to build the bridge between the two and bring those two pieces a little closer together. Exactly. What's most on your mind in terms of outside of what you're trying to create? What are what's something that you think about every day? Family, my family. I guess something that has nothing to do with Sage to see, although it does, of course, because my connection with my mom is I have uh, three siblings and five nieces and nephews and my entire family in St. Louis. I'm the only the only one that has not stayed in St. Louis, and that is really hard. That's really how hard. did you how did you end up out here in Seattle? Um, you know, when I was younger, I feel like I didn't even know that the Northwest existed. You know, you you hear about the West Coast and, right. you know, like California is the dream, you know, <laughs> but you don't really hear about Washington and Oregon. And yeah. I just had a friend in college who was from Portland and I came out to visit a couple summers and was just like taken. I was like, all right, that's it. When I graduate college, that's that's where I'm headed. So that's what I did. Well, see, I I was born and raised down in Oregon, spent every childhood summer on the Oregon coast. And I have so many incredible memories of camping on the Oregon coast and spending days being barefoot, playing in that ice freaking cold water. And it's just such a great, I mean, I, that's that connection to the water, to the beach that I, to this day is, you know, smell that briny air and walk onto that beach and hear those waves. And my shoulders drop down about three inches from my ears (laughs) and it just changes everything. I mean, it's a total reset. And though I have the beach here and and there are tides that come in and go out, we do not have the crashing waves on Puget Sound that they do on the Oregon coast, Uh, except except for when the ferry comes in and, and the ferry makes some waves. I'll never forget one year it was uh, it was during the summer solstice mm-hmm. and there was a guy that was out trying to surf the wake of a fairy. Oh, <laughs> it was pretty interesting because when the, oh. the solstice happens, the tide goes so far out that you're, you can walk almost out into the shipping lane out there in That's the sound. Amazing. So it's a pretty interesting experience, Where- but same thing. Oh, I was Go ahead. I was wondering where in Oregon you were born. I lived over on the west side of Portland in a town. I grew up in a town called Hillsboro. Uh-huh. I was born and raised on the same street that was my great grandparents' farm. Oh wow! And so I lived on a street that had aunts, uncles, cousins, family, friend. You know, I mean, it was just as the farm land was sold off, people bought home. You know, yeah. built homes and everything. So when I was fifteen, my dad got transferred down to Eugene. So we moved down to Eugene and I finished high school and went to a couple of years of college at the University of Oregon. Uh-huh. And my folks moved up here in 1981. Okay. And I moved up here full time in 1986. Uh-huh. So my folks were here. My brothers are still here. I raised my daughter here. It's this close to the small town community 
I know that's what brought my folks here was, it was very small, close to the small town community that they had in Hillsboro when they were growing up. Right. So that was kind of what drew everybody here. And we've just sort of stayed. And I never really think about how unusual our family is in that when I was a kid, we both sides of the family got together for holidays mm -hmm. and there was always something going on with family and my grandparents were always involved. My wow. grandmother, my dad's mom lived close. And so we've sort of recreated that space here. That's so special. When I talk about stuff like that and people look at me and they go, I hope you understand that like, that's not the norm anymore. <laughs> yeah. And, and my daughter and son-in-law had a baby girl two years ago in November. And she has been the recipient of not having to go to daycare when my daughter went back to school that all of us in the family take care of her one day a week so yeah. that she's never had to be in daycare. Right. So I look at things like that. And I think about just how those familial ties. And so I so understand you, your connection to your family and, and you're far away. Yeah. So how, how do you, how do you deal with that? How do you sort of reconcile yourself to all of that we it's it's a constant struggle for me it's like my biggest question because there's always been a a question I've always I've always thought to myself well there will probably be a time where I just know it's time to move back to St. Louis because my family is the, similar to how you're describing your family. It's the same. My family's super close. They all work together. They are each other's best friends. So we spend a lot of money on plane tickets. <laughs> I, was talking, I was talking to my, my sister the other day and she's like, because she's coming out in February with my mom. Then she's going to come out again at the beginning of June and then again in July. She's like... You know, some people might think it's a little ridiculous to fly out to Seattle three times in the course of five months, but it's just what we have to do. So that's what we do. And I'm I'm going home and we talk on the phone all the time. I FaceTime with my nieces and nephews. It's not enough, but we do as much as we can. Boy, technology certainly has made the world much smaller, hasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Definitely. there's there's good there's good and bad with technology yeah. as with anything, but boy, it certainly has made the world a much more manageable space if you can't be near your family. Definitely. And well, that's that's great that you guys have that capacity to be able to go back and forth like that and and spend time together. Like you said, it may not be enough, but at least you get to still maintain that connection and right. keep it strong. So yeah, yeah it's important. It is important. And you're getting married, you said in when, June or July? July, yeah. July. Mm -hmm. So I would imagine then everybody will be flying out for that. Everyone will be flying out. Yeah, we do a big family vacation every year. And usually we go actually to the coast of Georgia, which is kind of random. But <laughs> instead of that, the whole family's coming out here for the week before the wedding. And we're getting married in the house that we're all going to be staying at. Oh, great. That time. So just a place that's on the river that is a huge yard that's letting us have 150 people. So. Oh my gosh. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah. We're very excited. What's something that you wish more women knew in their lives? Oh my gosh. That's a, that's a big question. <laughs> if there was some little nugget of wisdom that you could impart to with, to, other women that you think would be valuable for them to know? Mm, to trust ourselves more. I mean, we do so much questioning 
of ourselves that I don't think men do. It's more like, well, yeah, this is what, what, from what I've seen, men are more, this is a very broad statement, gross overgeneralization, but (laughs) our society allows for men to make decisions and just know that they're right and feel that they're right. And women, we question ourselves so much. So I think just trusting our intuition more is so important. And that's something I learned from my mom. Yeah, I I would agree with you. And and yes, it it could be seen as an overgeneralization. But truly, I believe that so many women have felt held back or society has given them this story that they can't be too smart. Mm-hmm. They can't be too powerful. Definitely not. They're not. Old. They're not allowed to show their emotions. Right. They're not allowed to be angry. They're not allowed to be too successful. Right. And it creates a situation where, when women are trying to get ahead, sometimes I think they take on those masculine qualities, and depending on what environment they're working in, to try and get ahead. That you know, guys don't have to do that. They don't have to really think about it. They can kind of do and say whatever and and move on. And it's all of those things. And as women, I think, like you said, we second guess ourselves. We create a whole storyline that may not be true at all, but yet we internalize it and turn it into our truth. Right. And I, it's a big part of this for me with this podcast and my website is to give women that platform to actually talk about their successes, to be celebrated for their successes, to be as bold, as emotional, as powerful as whatever it is Mm -hmm. that they're feeling in that moment and feel that they have a space that's safe to do that. It's something for me, I don't ever think about it as I bumped up against the glass ceiling, but I always felt I was ramming into a brick wall repeatedly, (laughs) it it gets a little tiring after a while to keep running into that brick wall. A little bit. Yeah. Yeah, it really does. I really like what you're saying about celebrating our successes. I think there's something about it where we are taught to be exceedingly humble too, and not be outward about how proud we are of the work that we're doing. Yeah. I really appreciate that. Yeah. It's the most important thing that I have found is that I have felt, and so many of the other women I've talked to, is that we, society sometimes pits women against each other, whether it be competing for a, a partner or on a parenting level or on a job level or just as a woman. And that we need to sort of throw all of that away and be able to celebrate each other for all of the diversity, all of the differences, all of the amazing things that we can do as women and how when we actually allow ourselves to come together Mm -hmm. and to work together and support each other and celebrate each other, that we're incredibly powerful. And I think that that sometimes is very frightening to... (laughs) certain segments of the population because women can truly affect incredible change when they believe that they can. And I, I, I think that really ties back into you making the comment about, you know, the things that we tell ourselves and how we overthink things. And then we don't give ourselves the room to leap like you did at 30 and say, you know, I kind of want to do this. So I'm going to make this leap. I have no idea where I'm going to end up. 
and I'm, I'm going to be okay with it. And whatever happens, it's going to be okay. Yeah. No matter what happens. Yeah, exactly. So if you could have a billboard with anything on it, what would it say and why? <laughs> Magic is real. Oh. Um, because I love that sense of wonder. And just for me, it's like a lot is in that just like letting yourself go a little bit and believe and I don't know. It also feels a little silly and I like the lightheartedness of it. Yeah. Letting yourself believe that something is possible that doesn't seem like it would be possible. Well, and I think that if you let yourself believe that there's magic is that all of those dreams that we have in our hearts that sometimes we don't let see the light of day because we're afraid about what someone else is going to say or sort of what sort of judgment we'll find about what our thought process is, that if you just live in that space that magic will and can happen, that amazing things show up. I mean, look at Disneyland, for God's sake. Right? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I want to thank you so much for making the time to meet me here today and have this conversation. And I, I gotta say, I love what you're doing with your design work. It's, it's incredibly gorgeous. And it's all of the things that a, that a Northwest person or anyone who has to deal with weather and has a bag that they're going to carry could ever want with the the water resistance and just the the beauty in the design. And I just wish you continued success and an incredible wedding experience coming up. And I hope that everything just is as magical as you would like it to be. Thank you so much. I really, really appreciate the invitation. This was a blast. Oh, good. Well, we'll check back in later because I'd like to check back in to see what's going on in a few months after you've had a little bit more time to kind of realize some more of your dreams and and figure out what's next for you. So we'll we'll circle back again soon. Perfect. Thanks again. Thank you.